First impressions aren't the most important thing. They're the only thing. At Ernie's Print Shop, we'll produce what you need to represent your company professionally. Right now, you can get 1,000 full-color business cards, 1,000 4x6 postcards, or a 3x5 banner for just $60. You choose. Check us out at Ernie'sPrintShop.com. Ernie's Print Shop. Over 50 years, one source, one solution. Ernie'sPrintShop.com. 502-969-8585. Being a victim of crime is no joke, but you do have options that can help you avoid becoming a victim. I'm Ed Springston of the My View Matters Radio Show, and on behalf of myself and co-host Ed Martin, I urge each of you to help us fight against crime. You can do your part by calling Crime Stoppers at 582 Clue. Since 1982, Crime Stoppers has helped get over 23,000 criminals off the street with your help. Working together, we can make a difference to take our streets back. Please call Crime Stoppers at 582-CLUE, or you can visit them online at www.582clue.com. Remember, Crime Stoppers always offers up to a $1,000 reward. Get involved and help make a positive change in your neighborhood. Thanks. Advertisers, here's a great way to reach a quality audience. Get heard on My View Matters and make some noise in the marketplace. Email myviewmatters at aol.com for advertising opportunities. Make a sound investment. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, yes, welcome once again to the Ed Springston Show, brought to you by the MVM Radio Network, home of edspringston.com, where you can go for all the latest stories, podcasts, whatever we've got going. While you are at edspringston.com, I would ask that you please do a few things. First and foremost, like the thousands of people before you, please join the email newsletter. We'll send you updates on a weekly or monthly basis, your choice. Secondly, join the RSS feed. Yes, we'll send podcasts direct to your inbox as well. And finally, donate, donate, donate. We have a handy-dandy donate button at edsprings.com. It kind of helps us pay for all the bills, et cetera. So, you know, as little as 20 25 bucks really helps. It goes a long way. So we'd appreciate if you could help us out. In the meantime, call in numbers as always, 858-683-1326. For those of you in the listening queue, hit the number one on your dial pad. We'll get you on there as soon as possible. The live chat is now open and ready for you to beat each other up. And you can also reach me on Instant Messenger at Facebook at Ed Springston. So with all of that being said, welcome to a new week. First and foremost, I apologize for last week. I had a pet emergency, um, and I had to rush to the animal hospital. So we had to take care of one of our, our little deers, and that's why we ended up having to cancel the show at the last second. I could not be here. So we apologize for that. But we are here this week, and as always, we try to start the week out with Mr. Ed Martin. How are you, sir? Yeah, doing all right, Mr. Springston. You know, and and uh, we are animal lovers, so you know, some people might not like it when the show gets canceled. But man, when I texted you, like, "What's up, man?" You 
Yeah, well, that's it. So I, I get that, yeah. You know, well, I mean, you know, if you got a, I don't, I don't care if it's a damn stray animal. If the damn thing is in distress in an emergency situation, I'm going to take that that animal to the vet. I mean, it has to be done. That's just uh, cruel and inhumane if you don't. So, you know, but we're going to make sure everything's okay. Uh, got a lot to talk about this week, Ed. Obviously, um, we're going to start with a quick story. I don't want to turn this into the into the sports show like we've done recently. Yeah, yeah, well, you know me. I've had to keep my mouth shut for an extra yeah. week, see, so that kind of hurts things. I know, kind of rough, ain't it? <laughs> I bet, you know. I bet you got a headache over that. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you what. Y'all see how bad I get when I get laryngitis. And, you know, that's happened a few times, a couple of times over the last year, and it's like, I've got to be quiet. What the hell is going on in this world, right? So oh, it, it pretty much is amazing. Like somebody, I just, I'd, I'd like to just find you when you're like that. Yeah, just say, hey, here's a lawnmower, you know, just get you so bad. So found him. It's like, no, he, he's going to mow everything. Watch him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's got to do something. He's going to explode. <laughs> I understand. I'll catch you. You'll catch me with laryngitis face to face. You'll be that guy standing there with your hands on your ears saying, na 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 repeatedly, it's just a piss me off. I don't know who you are, you evil uh, shit. I hand you a uh, bunch of quarters and say, here, go wash my truck. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which is why I avoid you in situations like that. Um <laughs> I'll probably take advantage of it. Yeah, there you go. We do have some sports stories. I mean, primarily, you know, we're not going to spend as much time as usual on this. I want to get into some other things, but Jeff Brown, as everybody knows by now, withdrew uh, from Louisville search last week, midweek. He had met with... For the right reasons. For the right reasons, I might add. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. He, uh, you know, I, we, we had talked about Braun being the favorite. We both had said that we don't think it's the right time for him. And we'd really hoped, um, you know, we'd really hoped that he would, you know, do the right thing by Purdue. And he did. He stood by his players and his university, things like that. And I thought that was, that was great. Um, much respect to Jeff, by the way, he handled this whole thing. And, uh, you know, it was the right decision to make right now. I mean, it really, really was. I would have thought yeah. less of Bron if he would have come here. I've never really gotten this yeah. whole, I've never really gotten this whole, you know, Bron football royalty bullshit anyway. I mean, none of them, are, you know, these Broms ain't nothing special to me. They never have been. But, you know, everybody thinks the whole world sits, yeah. you know, sunset well, on their I, butt. I went, to school, I went to school with them, you know, my family, all my brothers seem to always have one of them in their class. Now, they really are good people and they're you know they they are they're they've been involved with the community uh the great you know in athletics and trinity and U of L. brom could have gone anywhere he could have gone to alabama or if he wanted to or, but it, you know I, I get it i get it but i i just the thing that i kept saying was that brom this was his last stop and louisville will someday will be his last stop you know the uh, the, the the chosen one comes home so I can see it at age 48. He didn't want to, you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to coach for the next 20 years at UofL? I was like, no. He, and, and being true character, as much as he wanted to come back, it was, so, I mean, and, and just so refreshing when you read his long suited letter, his explanation. It, he didn't want to do, he didn't want to do the, the school wrong. That he right. had recruited, and it's so often you don't get that. He he recruited these young men to come play for him at Purdue, 
And he said, I totally agree. It wouldn't, be right, it wouldn't be right to leave them. Now, how often do you hear that? I mean, this coach is a way of a few million extra dollars in their face, and these, most of these guys are freaking whores. And they Absolutely. just You know, like, oh, where can Absolutely. they get more money? I'm, look at Charlie Strong, Bobby Petrino. Look at John L. Oh, Smith. Yeah. Look at all the coaches. Oh, yeah. And all of a sudden you get this one. He's like, no, it wouldn't be the right thing to do. It's like, oh. Nope. You know. I'm just I totally agree. And John L. Schmidt. I'm hoping the whole <laughs> I'm hoping the whole nation was watching that. Right. You know, it's like folks, that's that's how you're supposed to handle it. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jeff Brown proved to be the class act that I've always thought he was. You know, when I say I don't understand the Brown football <laughs> rule, let me understand folks. I mean let me make you understand. I think the Browns are a great family. It's nothing against the family at all. But well, we got a lot of great families in Louisville and beyond that do a lot of great work in the community and stay involved. The fact that these guys are at Trinity High School, if you're a Trinity or St. Ed, you're automatically royalty in this town. I just think that's ridiculous because there was nothing really very impressive. Jeff Brown was probably the best out of all of them. He went to the University of Louisville. His career at the University of Louisville wasn't record-setting. It really wasn't. He goes to San well, Francisco. He didn't have the right coaches. He, he didn't have the right coaches. Yeah. I'm not saying he did or he didn't, but there was nothing special about his skills as a quarterback when he was at Louisville. You know, and, yeah. uh, you know, so those kind of things, it's just they, they, they were, you know, good football players, local good football players, but it's that Trinity and St. X Mystique thing that gives them the royalty title, and I've never understood that. But as far as a family, understand they are a class act family, and I've got a lot of respect for them. But I've got great respect for Bob. He handled this perfectly. Uh, you know, he said he was, you know, toughest decision he ever made. But he decided at the end to honor his commitment to his football program, the players, and the recruits at Purdue. And it was the right thing to do. And, and I'm like you. He just showed the whole world how something like this is supposed to yeah. be handled. Now, on the other side of that, um, everything is going out today. Scott Satterfield from Appalachian State will be named the head coach of Louisville tomorrow. Um, I don't particularly think Scott Satterfield was the best choice. I think he's the cheapest choice. Uh, he's making about seven hundred something thousand at uh, Appalachian State, so he'll obviously get a bump in salary. I don't think it'll be the three and a half to four million dollar range that we were going to be looking at uh, with Bobby Petrino and Jeff Brom. Jeff Brom is actually going to get almost five million a year, uh, according to the details that have leaked. Uh, you know, Satterfield will probably come in with maybe one and a half to two million to start, and, and laden with bonuses out the wazoo. But I don't yeah. like Satterfield. One reason and one reason only. I don't think he did right by Appalachian State or the program throughout this whole process. To me, he didn't show the loyalty that Jeff Brown did to his current program, and that's what I'm looking for. Um, the best yeah, choice he's been throughout there. Choice. He's, he's, he's been there a good while. So, you know, he when, when I say, you know, I understand coaches got to move on, but Brown's two seasons deep, and that's too, that's not enough. <clears throat> Satterfield's been there a while, and he has built that program. I get that. He's brought them, you know, so at some point, a program like that, you know, they're going to have to look at it and think, it's, it's been a great run. And they, were, right. they, were, they were fortunate to have him, you know. He, he, they, 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 they gave some major programs a run for their money. They probably made a lot of money with him taking them to bowl games and stuff. So I think, I think he's fulfilled his commitment. I, I think at some point, <clears throat> it's probably a nice buyout, so – Appalachian State is not a power five. They're not a big money program. So, you know, they probably made more money with him and won more games with him than they've ever won before. I think he's right. done okay by him. I think I think they're like Western Kentucky when Brom and Petrino were there. 
they understand that they're a bit of a stepping stone school. So no, no, no harm done. You know, it's like yeah, well, I just you think did a good job. They're never going to be a national powerhouse. So he did not short circuit that on them. Well, I'm not. I'm not so sure he did. I just don't think he's ready for for a program at the top level either. I think there should have been another place he should have went first. Uh, but that's just me. I personally thought that Neil Brown out of Troy was going to be the best pick of the lot. And, of course, the Louisville fans hate him because of some comments he made while he was a Kentucky coach. Uh, you know, and, of course, everybody in Louisville hates Kentucky, so I don't think he was ever going to be given good consideration anyway. But we'll see. I mean, I've got to admit, you know, I've said from the very beginning that I didn't think Chris Mack was the right coach for Louisville. I still don't, but Louisville is doing pretty good right now. And, you know, maybe maybe Satterfield will prove me wrong there as well. Um, so we'll see. And on the other part of the equation, since I mentioned Kentucky, real quickly, I'm going to go to the phones real fast. But um, Kentucky accepted a bowl to the uh, – bowl that's – excuse me, accepted the game and the bid to the Citrus Bowl down in Florida on New Year's Day where they'll play uh, Penn State. So that ought to be a pretty good, pretty good game. And – Mark Stoops was named the SEC Coach of the Year today, and Josh Allen was named the uh, Defensive Player of the Year. So Kentucky's got a lot of positives going for them. Uh, it's the first nine-win nine season they've had in since 1977, I believe it was. So, you know, there's a lot of great things going on there as well. And Mark yeah, Stoops, when he came in, no back. I mean, last time they had a, a nine-win season, you were like, what, 35, 40 years old, weren't you? Oh, that hurt, man. That hurt. That hurt. Oh, in nineteen seventy seven I was fourteen. Uh you know, yeah, that hurt, dude. But uh but anyway, yeah, thanks, Mr. Martin. You're my age. What the hell are you talking about? I think a couple of months older. I know. Than me. <laughs> but uh, you know, so crap. I was I was fourteen too. <laughs> That's it. And of course, you know, Stoops when he came in, nobody thought he was the right coach for the job either. And, you know, now he's had three straight bowl appearances, and he has escalated Kentucky to where they're actually competing with the top dogs in the SEC. Uh, ranked top 15 this year. Uh, I think they finished at uh, 13, I believe, and Penn State was 11, or maybe they were 15 and 13. I can't remember. But, uh, you know, so, I mean, there's a lot of good there, too. So maybe Satterfield will come in and, and change the thing. The one thing that will be a positive for Satterfield is that he is an offensive-minded coach. So if you're looking to get your offense moving again and start putting a lot of points on the board, he does uh, prefer offensive um, to defensive. Uh, just hope that he gets a defensive coordinator that can yeah. do something. The last three that Petrino well, had on defense. They, he, likes, he likes an aggressive defense against the pass, which will work okay. It will work well in the uh, ACC. But his, his offense is not that uh, – and it, one of the maddening things, I know we all got frustrated with it, the, the Petrino just lost his mojo, and his offense right. was basically go for broke. You know, quarterbacks back either scramble right. or pass for the big one. You know, Satterfield right. has a little more smash mouth going. He likes to run the ball, and he likes to, you know, basically kind of like Alabama. He likes to bang it up. He likes to shove it down your throat. So that, you know, I like guess I was talking to some Uville booster friends of mine. That, you know, they got mm-hmm. they put big money in the program. And I right. said, you know. As, as long as we get discipline, as long as there's discipline, which was sorely lacking, and effort, which was sorely lacking. Right. But, I, you know, win-loss, it's, it can be a tough conference with Clemson and, and Florida State if they ever get it back under the, get their feet back under them. But, you know what, give us, give us a good smash-mouth effort. You know, just it's, you look at teams like Wake Forest and Georgia Tech and stuff, and they, they're not powerhouses either. But they were fun to watch, except when they were – 
playing your route. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And a big thing and a big thing for Satterfield. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say just just give us I'm gonna say the big thing and and not not don't yeah. jump off sides all the time or get in fights or play dirty. Right. And and just just get out there and give everybody a good effort. I mean people get that, you know. Well, that's it. The big thing for Satterfield, I mean, the thing that Brom was going to bring to the table, nobody was going to care about wins or losses for at least two years under Brom. But they would have, but they would have filled the stance. That's the biggest thing Louisville has concerned himself with right now is getting enough people to fill the stance. They just spent all that money on the uh, upgrade and everything else. So it's going to be really interesting to see if Satterfield can get people excited. But, you know, the other part of this is I think Satterfield's measures – for the next two years, really can't be measured in wins and losses. I'm like you. I think it starts with discipline of the team, and I think it starts with being competitive. You know, Louisville lost, what, four games? People, at least four games this year, they had more than 50 points scored against them, including Kentucky, um, you know, which was a, a major red flag that yeah. that thing is just spreaded into nothingness. So Satterfield can be competitive for two years uh, and show the gradual improvement like he did at Appalachian State in his third year be successful. I think it'll be okay. But we'll find out going forward. Um, let's go to the phones real quick. Paul's on here. Paul, what's up, man? I uh, I think you have a good point, Mr. Springston, about the uh, about coming from a smaller program like Appalachian State. Louisville's history with smaller schools and smaller programs is not particularly good. You guys might recall a couple of uh, coaches that came from smaller programs, such as Ron Cooper, who came from Eastern Michigan, and yep. had three years, at the end of which he was fired because he had a losing record. Steve Crapthorpe, I mean, Cragthorpe, came from Tulsa. <laughs> he lasted three years. <laughs> he lasted three years, had a losing record. And even right. the venerable... Howard Schnellenberger, who came from a much, much more uh, glorified program down at the University of Miami in Florida, Mm -hmm. after his tenure, he had a losing record as well. So I think think your concern about coming and stepping up from a program like an Appalachian State, and in fact, this guy has been – He's been a uh, he's been devoted to not only his school but also to that region. I I'll tell you what I uh, I have to wonder whether he's ready for prime time. You know. Oh, I, I I think he is, and I think the fact that he can run with teams like LSU and I think you know the famous upset of Michigan, he can do it with basically Division two type players. I I think that bodes well. That, you know, it's, it, you got to think. They're Craig Thorpe's and your Coopers. They hadn't actually laid it on any of the Power Five. This guy's beating them with, you know, basically it's like a JUCO beating UK. So he, I think it's, it goes without saying he can get a lot with with what he's got. He can get the most out of it, uh, you know. And whenever you throw Ron Cooper into the mix, okay, let's face it, that was that was an affirmative action hire with Lewis Coleman and everybody. I mean, that's why Ron got hired. He was he was a total asshole. I know people that played well, him. Well, I would. Useless. Well, I mean, useless. Sure. He really was, you know. Well, I and wouldn't go so far as to say it was a... Guys. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't go that far as saying it was affirmative action hire. Ron Cooper was actually pretty cheap, too. And Ron Cooper, uh, you know, but you had, you had Steve, or shit. You had John L. Smith, 
which, you know, we were talking about Brom earlier. He went out the worst way. I was down at Memphis oh. for the first bowl that Louisville had went to, John L. Smith's first bowl with Louisville. And they announced at halftime that John L. Smith was leaving. That's what everybody found out. Yeah. The team found out at halftime of the bowl game. Um, you know, and I mean, you could just hear this thing go out throughout the whole stands, including me. You know, and uh, I mean, it was a miserable game anyway. It was the coldest game I've ever been to in my life. And, you know, and then, and then they make this announcement at halftime. So John L. Smith went out the wrong way, absolutely. But Ron Cooper was no. also tied to John L. Smith. So he became the heir apparent. Yeah, John L. Smith, after he did that, went to Michigan State. And some bitch sat back and basically said, I right, get over it. I got to go to a school where I can compete for, a, you know, a major bowl and a national championship. And then, of course, and then karma bit his ass. State. And then karma bit his ass, yeah. yeah. And nobody in Kentucky had a shit to give for John L. Smith. And he just kind of enjoyed watching yeah. flame out at Michigan State. <laughs> Absolutely. I was one of them. I was one of them. Charlie I hated a guy for the did Charlie, that. Charlie Strong, Charlie Strong loved us, and then he left for Texas, and we watched well, him flame out. See, here's the thing, in Kentucky though, but, laughed. <laughs> but, but here's the thing, though. We also, you know, Paul also brought up uh, Steve Cragthorpe, you know. Now, Steve Cragthorpe had one major problem. Cragthorpe was told and instructed when he got hired to clean up the program. It was basically a zero-tolerance program. When Cragthorpe got it, that's what he was told. So Cragthorpe did. He held his players accountable to all their to all their problems. I mean, we're seeing U.K. and UofL players being arrested. U.K. just had a wide receiver arrested over the weekend. Uh, you know, these guys are basically thugs, slugs, and gang members, right? A lot of these guys during that period were. So John L. Smith because he was disciplining his players, holding them out from games and different things. He didn't always have the best team on the field because he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do to clean up the program, as he was told. So that had a lot to do with his failure there as well. So, you know, you know, so we got to look at a big picture here. But I'm like Paul in the sense that Cooper came from basically nothing. He was the heir apparent to John L. Smith because of John L. Smith. You know, and then you have uh, Cragthorpe come in, and nobody really wanted to talk about what he was ordered to do to keep the program clean. And that was why he fell. But both of those did come from smaller programs. I knew knew somebody, again, I I knew some some guys that played under Craig Thorpe. And the problem with Craig Thorpe, he was a nice guy. But when you want to get to that level, I still remember remember the press conference, and I about lost my mind when I heard him say it. Because I had friends on the team. And they said, you can never, you can't beat him in the opening game. They were, right. This was going to be U of L's year, and I think it was Brom or whoever was the quarterback, and and Michael right. Bush, and and it was going to be their year, and it should have been. And after UK spanked them, they sat down at the press conference, and then he, Craig Thorpe, I remember, he looked at the camera and said, "Well, you know," he said, "Well, the first thing, first thing Monday morning, we're going to get to work on that." And I'm a Trinity grad. I remember thinking, "What?" No, 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 no. You don't understand. When Trinity loses the game, you know, not when it, it late. You know, right. They, they, the coaches walk out and tell the parents after the game, go on home. We'll call you when right. we're finished watching these game right. films. I'm thinking, and yeah. you're getting paid all this money, and oh, well, okay, you're gonna go cook some brats and burgers, and you know, chill out for the weekend. You know, for the <laughs> I'm getting to work and start earning my million dollars, and it's like right then and there. I know there was absolutely zero intensity because you got a good coach and a program is trying to be, you know, get up to the upper level. You lose a game you're not supposed to. 
nobody goes home. You know. Yeah, we'll see how this works thought, out. Oh, what, a, what, a, <laughs> what a what a blob of, of wool covered fat. You know, it was just what a useless well, but you're blob. Also, you can't really compare high school to college though, because there's all kinds of different. You know, things you've got to consider in college. You've got limited time. You're allowed to be with the team. Certain things that have to be met. You oh, know, yeah. I didn't really coaches, see much wrong with that. There's no limit on the coaches. You know, you don't say, well, I'm going to have a nice weekend after this. No, like, work on it. Like, <laughs> no, 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 right. no, no, no. Coaches, yeah. sit your ass down, cancel your plans. We lost the game. We shouldn't have. And he didn't well, do it. So, yeah, I, I hate it. So, let's do one. Okay, but like I said, I mean, I, I, I'm curious to see what this guy does because I am inclined to, like I said, I didn't think he was the best pick for it. Maybe he'll prove me wrong. So far, Chris Mack is doing a pretty good job. Chris Mack needs to watch his attitude on the sideline because that's going to hurt a little bit more than it's going to help him. Uh, that doesn't surprise me a lot. But maybe Satterfield will come up and surprise us. And, and the thing that Satterfield will be able to do, he's not used to at Appalachian State. And you mentioned it a minute ago. Appalachian State is essentially a Division II playing a Division One. You know, so when you look at all of that in play, he really doesn't have access to the top players. If he's got an offensive mind, and like everybody is saying he does, then he's probably going to get some of the top quarterbacks. Quarterbacks want to come into an offensive situation where they can produce so they can look good and increase their NFL stock. So he'll have access to a different uh, caliber of player than he does at Appalachian State, and we'll see how yeah. that works mm-hmm. out. So. I'm gonna say he. I'm gonna say he has he has an advantage in recruiting. No matter how you know, that he can look at it and say, "Guys, I got a two and nine team. Nobody's position is is solid. He can go out and recruit four and five star linemen, running backs, fullbacks, whatever. That's true. That's say, true. You got a pretty good chance. You got a pretty good chance of starting in your freshman year, and a real good chance of starting in your in your sophomore year, because clearly the guys who are starting right now. Aren't very good. <laughs> uh, well, that's very true too. He's got yeah. one problem right now, though, on the recruiting trail. December nineteenth is the end of the early signing period. They've got nine scholarships available, um, but it's not, December nineteenth is the end of the early signing period, and he has to get Appalachian State ready for their bowl game on December the fifteenth. So it's going to be a very limited recruiting situation for him at this point. So we'll see what happens. Um, in the meantime, let's move on to some, some real stuff, man. I tell you oh, okay. a couple of stories well, a couple of stories come out. Kenny Betts, one of the two LMPD officers charged with sexually abusing teens, plans to plead guilty to federal charges. Um, he's supposed to go to federal court on December the sixth and he's gonna plead guilty to these charges. Now normally the range for the charges are twenty years to life in prison. And there's no parole in federal prison. He's going to plead guilty in federal prison. Here's the interesting thing for me. Why do you suppose Kenny Betts is going to plead guilty? Typically, when you plead guilty to something like this, uh, you're facing that kind of a sentence, you're typically pleading guilty to lower your sentence, which means you're playing ball. Now, we do know that Brandon Wood is the other LMPD officer at this point who has been charged with this. And I personally take some uh, satisfaction in that because Brandon Wood is a corrupt cop who actually you know, illegally detained me, um, him and, and Dustin Hickey. But when we look at this, who's he playing ball with? Because there's also been talk of Colin Flaherty, who was Lieutenant Flaherty at the time, who was Betts supervisor when Betts was already, as an explorer in the program himself, was being accused of sexually harassing people even then. And Flaherty recommended him to be LMPD. Flaherty was his boss on LMPD and covered all of this up in the first place. 
Flaherty went on to be a major. And um, there's also things out there that Flaherty was also texting and other things with underage explorers in a sexual manner as well. So I'm wondering, you know, these are all rumors. I'm getting that. But I'm curious to see what comes out of this on other charges. Because Betts is pleading guilty, and it's kind of unusual. I mean, the thing all lawyers will tell you to do, they can have DNA, they can have video, they can have recordings, they can have anything you want. You still deny it. You always deny something like this. But for him to plead guilty in a federal court, it would be one thing to do it in a state court, but in federal court to plead guilty knowing that he's got 20 years to life in prison tells me he's playing ball. So who's he playing ball with? Well, I don't know. I mean, obviously he's playing ball with the feds. So so the question then becomes, who's he rolling over on? Absolutely. He's just he's just a little pudgy patrolman. He's he perverted patrolman. Who, you know, he, he he's he's small potatoes. Somebody knew. Well, he really is. And the feds and the and the feds want him. Well, here's the thing. Flaherty is next door neighbors with Police Chief Conrad, and Police Chief Conrad, I'm sure, has talked with Flaherty about all of this stuff. While all of this stuff came to life just a couple of years ago, after Conrad came here. So I, I'm really curious to see if this is actually going to be the thing that finally takes down Chief Conrad. And if it does, does this lead all the way to Greg Fisher? You know, you, you well, can it, take this thing a lot I of I mean, let's, ways. let's be honest. If, it, if it's not global Democrat mafia politics, <clears throat> Conrad should have been gone a long time ago. And murder rate right. and, 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 and this cover-up crap and everything else. I mean, this, is, this gets you gone. Yeah, if he, right. if he gets gone anytime soon, it, it won't be. It can't be soon enough. But yeah, I mean, what he's already done, what his failures in 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 the keeping Louisville out of the top. Uh, well, oh well, we we tell number eleven murders wise, but but right. uh, yeah, yeah, he he should have been gone a long time ago. This is this is the kind of thing that gets you rolled out. But I mean, not if you're a well connected Democrat. Absolutely, absolutely. So all of these things are coming into play. I'm curious to see who they're going to get next, but I believe there's going to be a list of people. Um, again, I have no inside source to to give me this information, not in this particular situation. But uh, it just doesn't make sense. You don't plead guilty in federal court knowing there's no parole or nothing else unless there's something else coming against somebody. So he's playing ball, in my opinion. I just don't know who he's going to take down with him. And Tom Wine, the Commonwealth attorney, um, has yet to charge him for the state charges part of this. Um, so, you know, he can actually, once Tom Wine decides to um, do something with this, and according to Tom Wine, he is going to continue to prosecute bets in state court on sexual abuse charges. So, you know, he'll face state charges as well on this. So this thing ain't going away no matter what. So I, I'm almost curious if they didn't make a deal where he'll plead guilty in federal court and uh, maybe get probation or some kind of a small sentence there uh, in exchange for whatever the state's going to do to him for playing ball. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but it's definitely a a complex situation. But Betts is going down. Brandon Wood is supposed to go to trial in January. You know, so we'll see what happens with the rest of it. Um, Another big story going on right now. Go ahead. And how, how did Tony Lindauer get mixed up in all this stuff? Well, 
Okay, now. He's being accused of sexual. Tony Lindauer, all right, you know, look, I'm going to take up for the guy for about three seconds. Tony Lindauer was not trying for kids. Okay, that's it. Right, there you go. Yeah, he wasn't going for kids. He was just telling the women who vote for him, hey, you know, while you're working here, why don't you give me a BJ? You know, and that's another interesting thing, too. Tony Lindauer has talked to the feds. Um, He has talked to the feds at least once. But Tony Lindauer has now decided to plead guilty. Uh, He has told the whole world (laughs) that, yes, this happened. Now, you would only do that, and Tony Lindauer, for this, you only do that for one or two reasons. He was ordered to shut this down by the Democratic Mafia here or else. And believe me, that or else has some serious uh, repercussions to his family. I promise you that. I've been through that. Or he's playing ball. He's not going to plead guilty. You don't plead guilty to something like this. I mean, that's again, this is another sexual charge. In Lindauer's case, yeah. as you so eloquently pointed out, it's two adults, not children. You know, and so I'm really at, trying to figure this out at, as well. At least, at least two adults. At least two adults. Well, I, yeah, I understand that, but it, but it was it was adults, though. It wasn't kids involved. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure that one out, too. I'm kind of glad that Paul brought that up because, you know, you don't plead guilty to something like this. You, you don't admit to something like this. If you have a smoking gun, you don't admit to murder. You plead not guilty. You know what I mean? So there's got to be something here that is, is forcing Lindauer to do this, the same as Pets. And I think we'll get the, the big story on it coming up. I know that there's... Uh, I mean, I, I, I got I to gotta say, though, you know, when I was reading reading up on the Lindauer thing, it was like, I'm, I'm looking at it going, man, this guy, this guy, this is strong, man. It, dude, this oh, little bitty sawed-off 70-year-old or whatever... What a libido! He, he's he's <laughs> oh. I mean, no, really, really. Being a business owner and stuff, you know, there are certain lines you can't cross. You know, the subordinate, insubordinate relationship and stuff. And this guy went right at it. I mean, basically, you know, not not like getting together. You know, hey, let's get together for drinks, and then he gets a little out of line. Now this dude is saying, hey. How about you go? How about you give me a little sucky sucky? You know, it's like, holy hell, man! I That's, what a what a libido! I mean, part of me wants to applaud for the guy. It's like you little white haired, shot off son of a old son of a bitch. Damn, and, dude! Damn! <laughs> it's like, well, I'll really? tell you, really? <laughs> I mean, well, what a, wow! What a, damn, man, quit that! I've been single a long time, man. Uh, but, but you know, it's possible. It's possible that old Tony is a walking, talking testimony for that local company that's gotten into trouble for their hormone treatments. You know, maybe he's one of their clients and he's after proving the efficacy of uh, their treatments. What do you think? Well, he might have just signed a contract for the next Viagra spokesman too. We don't know. Um, <laughs> But, but there's a lot of things with that that just don't add up. So for him to plead guilty, there's a there's a major reason for that. To admit that he did it, uh, there hasn't been a plea yet. I, I guess I'm but he admitted that he did it, and at least supported. And uh, you know, so that's a very interesting situation as well. Now, Colleen Younger and a whole host of others, up to and including the Nicholsons, uh, are being investigated right now. There's a lot of things going on with them, with insider deals on appraisals and real estate stuff through the PVA. That story should be breaking very, very quickly. I'm not going to do the lead on this. I'm going to let somebody else do it. 
Um, but there's going to be something going on there as well, and I'm wondering if that doesn't have anything to do with what Tony Lindauer was turning time on. But, we'll, again, we'll find out soon enough. Um, in the meantime, other stories, I don't want to do a lot of stuff here, guys, but in other stories, GM has just announced they're going to close some plants, but Ford just announced that they're going to cut jobs at Louisville Assembly. But they're not going to lose any jobs. Now, this is Ford lying once again to the local people in Louisville, and here's why. Louisville Assembly has somewhere between 4,300 and 4,500 employees working three shifts. That means each shift has on average 1,400 to 1,500 people. Now, I'm going to use 1,500 because it's easier to understand here, okay? 4,500 people, three shifts, 1,500 shifts. Out of those 1,500 shifts, you can assume about 100 to 150 of them are skilled trades. So Ford has about 1,300 people on each shift that actually work on a plant for. They are closing C-Crew, one of their three crews. Uh, that's their weekend shift. And they're going back to five 10-hour work days for uh, day and night shift like they used to do years ago before this last contract. Here's the thing. That means 1,300 employees are going to be displaced. Now, this is where Ford is conning people. They said that they're not going to lose anybody because they're going to move 500 workers to KTP, their truck plant out in the East End. 500 people out of 1,300. So here's where the screw job is coming. Ford, in this last contract, was given permission to use temporary employees. They call them temporary employees or TPTs. You know, the temporary employment that goes on, especially here in Louisville, is a mockery of state law and should be outlawed. Essentially, a company hires somebody through a temporary agency, and they're supposed to keep them for no more than 89 days, and at 90 days, they're supposed to get the job and be considered a permanent employee. Ford uses the shit out of that. A lot of these TPTs, or so-called temporary workers at Ford, have been there for a year or two years. So if you've got 800 employees left over after all of the bullshit, all right, you sent 500 to KTP, and that 500 probably included the skilled trades, but I'm not even going to count skilled trades in that. Not right now. You've got 800 employees left. Where are they going? They're not going to absorb them on the two other shifts that are left. Those two other shifts are already doing their jobs without them. All right, they may take 50 of them. So you've still got 750 employees that are out of a job. Now, Ford will say, well, you know, some of these guys are retired and the others were temporaries. Well, that's just the whole thing, isn't it? The temporaries are the ones losing their jobs. These are people who based their income on a year or two years at Ford on a so-called a temporary basis because Ford wasn't forced to make them full-time employees. So you're still losing jobs. And that's the, 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 the screw job by Ford and the, and the double dipping and the lies that they tell to people. That's going to affect us. And I'm going to tell the world right now, I'm going to go on record, and Ed, you can weigh in a second, but I'm going to go on record right now as telling you folks, next year there's going to be a major announcement about LAP. My belief is that LAP is going to close. I've said this a couple of years ago that I think they were two or three years out from closing. A lot of this is going to be because of the Greg Fisher and the Ford cover-ups with the insider trading, a lawsuit that is still ongoing, by the way, and the insider trading is still alive and well at the SEC in Washington, D.C., all right? But I believe LAP is going to close, and this is a, a precursor to that. That's what I firmly believe. With that being the case, all they're doing is buying a little time because next year is a contract year, and that's when they'll go into their buyout packages, retirees will retire, and they'll leave everybody else on the floor. 
because they're not going to be absorbed 3,000 people at KTP. That's what I believe is going to happen. I don't like the lies of Ford, and I don't like the fact that the Courier-Journal and other news outlets are projecting this lie without doing the research and finding out the truth and telling everybody about these TPTs and everybody else that are being kicked out. Ed, go ahead. Then we'll go to the phone. Uh, well, I, I don't know about LAP, but, I mean, granted, if you if you look at the two plants, uh, the differences are very stark. I mean, the KTP, the truck plant, massive capital investment. I mean, that, that they're – Clearly, KTP is unless something really strange happens. It's going to be here for a while because Ford has really invested in heavily in that. As far as LAP, it I get you know I go past, I go past it fairly often, and I just over the years, even when they got it all reactivated, and it just didn't seem like they were making the same kind of investment. And, and not granted, part of that may be the fact that it's somewhat it's kind of landlocked in where it's at. It's just so maybe that's it, but I, I wouldn't doubt what you're saying. Now, now with regard to Ford and GM doing these layoffs, I've had numerous discussions about this. Some people try to blame it on, blame it on Trump, which, again, I'm not a fan of Trump because it has almost nothing to do with the tariffs. What they're doing, and people are going to hate it or not. I mean, let's face it, they're gonna, they're gonna, people can hate on the, the, the uh, stockholders. People can hate on the uh, CEOs and stuff making too much money. Yes, they make too much money. But what they're doing now is well, hopefully, and, and it's good business. And I hate to say this, and I, and I feel bad for the people, but this is good business because remember uh, uh, 10 years ago or so, GM hit the rocks because they didn't do this. They kept, they kept non-profitable plants, things that they could didn't consolidate. They didn't shut down plants that they should have. They didn't shut down operations or lines that they were losing money. And they went bankrupt. And Barack Obama had to step in and bail them out and actually blow off the, you know, the, the proper bankruptcy procedures and everything else, screwing bondholders, all that fun stuff. What they're doing is painful, but what they're doing is forward-looking. And like I said, if if Five or six years from now, if Ford or GM hit the rocks again and, and got in the dire straits, we would be looking at them and saying, you know, and somebody would write articles about it and say, well, how come they kept making this little hunk of shit car that nobody was buying, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And we'd all be blasting them for that. But the fact is, GM is cutting product lines that you and I are not buying. That's all it is. Really, it is. And they're doing well, that's it part of it. Ford is go bankrupt again. Well, Ford is already on the way down that road anyway. Ford stock is now down to about nine dollars a share. Uh, a year ago it was at fifteen, so their stock was already almost half of what it was. Um, yeah. And this new guy, I mean, this CEO, they brought in from IKEA. Year, wasn't it a year ago? Wasn't a year ago? Ford said they're not going to make any more sedans or any small car. The small cars they make over. They they have announced they're eliminating a lot of that. Yes, they they're shutting they yeah. they're shutting I down mean, their production. Yes. I, I kind of look at that. I kind of look at that and I laugh because you know I, I, I like Camrys and it's like Toyota's got to be saying, "What do you mean you ain't making money selling sedans?" <laughs> you know. Right. Well. <laughs> yeah, but. That's but, but yeah, they're they're doing they're cutting back what they're not making money on, and it's granted right. if they were really smart, if they were really worth twenty million dollars a year, they'd figure out how to make money selling that stuff. But in the absence of being really really smart and figuring out why they're not selling, 
cut the line. It's it's brutal. It's crude. It's sad for the people who can get burned. But hopefully, hopefully, as this happens, we won't be staring down two or three major auto companies that are clowning bankruptcy because they're well, considering they got yeah. Well, I was going to say, considering we lost $10 billion on the last bailout of these people, I don't want to lose any more. Uh, let's go to Mayo. Mayo, you're on the air. Hey, what's up? I was a, uh, a super TPT at Ford when I was trying to get on years ago. I wouldn't want to try to do it now because, I mean, the, back then, I think I started at $18 an hour, and full-time right. hires at Ford now only start at, what, 13.75 day shift, almost 15 uh, day shift? Yep, something like that. I think I think they started yeah. on that. Yeah. And yep. back and then, for every in, and they crush you for that thirteen dollars an hour. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's hard on your body. It's hard on your body. But back then, at least, for every three jobs you learned, you got uh-huh. a quarter on the hour raise. And when I left my last short-term contract, six months, whatever it was, uh, uh-huh. I think I was like twenty-three eighty-five an hour or something. So, I mean, uh-huh. it used to be worth it. Now it's not. But the, the what gets me, my kind of question is, their reasoning, they say they're doing it, is because they're going to scale down on the Ford Escape, which is like the fan, family-friendly, more fuel-efficient SUV. Right. But right. yet they're going to increase production on the Navigator and the Expedition, two big, giant, freaking expensive gas hogs. Well, that there's a couple of reasons no, for that. Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, from a business perspective, the Escape is not selling as well as it was. Their numbers are down. But at the same time, that Escape can be made on about 10 different platforms throughout the U.S. They don't need LAP at all. LAP, I mean, they, they can suck up whatever production LAP puts out tomorrow and just spread it out, and they're just fine because all of their plants are running under capacity anyway. Um, so, you know, that's what this multi-platform that the unit agreed to last time Everybody was talking about it was going to be a great deal. It is a great deal for Ford, but it also makes it easier for Ford to shut plants. But the escape production is down because the sales are down. And the Navigator and Expedition, even though they're larger vehicles, because we do have a stronger economy right now, all right, those sales are actually going up. Um, they're not making enough production with the Navigator and yeah. Expedition and to meet the sales and demands. The are, and the profits per vehicle are through the roof. Exponentially bigger, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, so I, get, they, I get – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, well, wasn't it just a couple of years ago, didn't they just do like a, a revamp or a rehab on LAP to make like uh, – was it the Escape Hybrid or was it like a, a mid-sized well, sedan well, or well, something they, more fuel efficient? No, no, no. Uh, what, what, what they did at LAP was they retooled the entire plant. They shut down for about 10 months, uh, retooled the entire plant, all right? took on a hell of a lot of debt, which really means no debt, because they did all this with these DOE loans. The bailout Ford guys disguised as a Department of Energy loan, all right? $5.9 billion, and they used that money to retool some plants, including LAP. LAP is actually a multi-use platform, like all these other plants that they retool. But because of the money they had to invest in LAP, they consider that as as a liability at LAP because of debt service, all right? The only reason LAP survived and, and was able to get through the retool was because of Ron Gettelfinger. Ron Gettelfinger was the UAW president at the time. LAP was on a chopping block, and Ron Gettelfinger simply told him, I'm the UAW president. That's my home plant. You shut my home plant down, I'll make sure you don't get a contract passed. And Ford knew he was serious. 
So they said, okay, we're going to keep your plan open. We'll make it a multi-use platform by everybody else, essentially preparing for the future without Ron Gettelfinger. Now that Ron Gettelfinger is gone and LAP has debt, because at the time all this went on, LAP and KTP were the top two money producers in the Ford system in North America. KTP was number one, LAP was number two, based on the balance sheet, because they had no debt, or at least no debt to speak of. You know, now they're loaded with debt, just like everybody else. I mean, it does. It wouldn't make sense to keep LAP open when you can move that escape production to Chicago, you know, go all the way up to Detroit if you want to, because they're getting ready to redo all of Detroit and make sure Ford is successful there again and rebuild it. Um, when you get all that into play, you start talking about parts, suppliers, everything else. Ford shuts down a great deal during their shifts because they've got this on-time delivery crap for parts. They're using a Japanese model, and they're not good enough to use a Japanese model. So they shut down all the time because they run out of parts. If you look around the city right now, you're going to see a lot of parking lots and everything else that are loaded with Ford vehicles. The reason they're sitting there is because they're missing a part. And once those parts finally come in, they'll send uh, guys out to those parking lots and put these parts on all these cars. There's hundreds of thousands of them around the city right now that they can't send to the dealers. All right, and These guys will go out there and work rain, snow, sleet, or hail, putting those parts on these vehicles so they can ship them out. So Ford is going to have problems with the LAP because of the debt service. The escape sales are down, and the production that they're putting out right now, quite frankly, can be absorbed somewhere else. So that's the problem with the LAP. The Lincoln and Navigators, actually a couple of years ago, Ford was talking about maybe even weeding them out of their system. But all of a sudden, under the Trump economy, give Trump credit, this economy is running very, very good right now. Wages are going up faster than they've done in a very long time. And people have more jobs and more disposable income now than they've had in quite some time. You know, when we always say it's the economy stupid, we're serious. And when you see uh, something like Ford with the navigation, Navigator and Expedition, uh, with the profit margins that they have in that, which are ungodly high, and they're getting it and they're selling them. I mean, gas right now is around $2 a gallon. You know, so you got cheap gas, you got disposable income. <clears throat> that, I, that's, you're going to upgrade. I would in a heartbeat. Well, it's, it's not only that. It's not only that, but the fact that a lot of it has to do with the fuel, the fuel they use, and the GVW. It's one thing people often say, "Oh my God, how can you spend forty-five thousand or sixty thousand dollars on a truck?" Well, uh-huh. it's not. It's not people that are buying the trucks. When you buy, when you buy a three-quarter ton, one-ton truck. Usually a business, and it's usually a capital investment, and it's going to be depreciated and written off over the years. So, so a lot of these trucks got taxed right off, written all over them. So they're depreciable. I mean, you, you, you get a Ford Escape, that's true. You know, they're going to be that's going to be sold to a household. It's going to depreciate, and a household doesn't get to deduct it. But some dude mm-hmm. with a lawn company buys an F two fifty four wheel drive, you know, right. whatever the hell they. You know, the top line luxury thing is, and he hauls his lawnmowers and his boat to the lake with it, he's still writing it off. Every family in America today ought to set up a trust. I really believe that. You buy your house through the trust, you buy your vehicle through the trust, all the depreciation and everything else gets written off through the trust. You get to, yep. t- you get to use you all the benefits of it, right? You betcha. You betcha. That's you write always, off everything. That, always, that has always been one of my gripes is uh, businesses can deduct everything from toilet paper to electricity to vehicles. You Out betcha. And you can open up, you, yeah. you can be an automobile worker on the line at Ford and open up a family trust. 
And everything gets paid through the trust. You're thinking thinking LLC. You're thinking LLC. No, 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 no. Right now I'm thinking trust. (laughs) LLC is great for small Mm. business. Me and you you both realize LLC benefits. I'm talking about every family in America when you talk about depreciating vehicles. When you buy, if if I was to go out and buy a truck, if I was going out and buy a truck tomorrow as an individual, I don't get the depreciation, right? Nope. I don't really have a small business to justify an LLC, but I can open a family trust and have that, that, that daggone truck or vehicle bought under the Springston Family Trust, right? And I get to use that all the time because I'm the beneficiary of the trust, right, or I'm the ex- ex- executor of the trust, whatever you want to call me, okay? And I'm going to be able to write that depreciation off. So there's all kinds of different ways you can take advantage of tax laws, but people don't know this because they don't tell you that. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different things to do. But at the end of the day, Ford is just, for, for me right now, my biggest concern with Ford, they're going downhill again really quickly. This new CEO from Ikea has no business being in the automobile industry, in my opinion. I'm waiting for this guy. You know, when you go to Ikea, you buy a kit, right? If you want to put a coffee table together or a kitchen table or anything, they got four <laughs> legs, a tabletop, and the chairs are all apart, right? Well, back in World War II, back in World War II, they actually delivered Jeeps that way. And a big old crate, a Jeep was delivered, transmission and everything. And you assembled it where you were. That's what I'm expecting Ford to do under this guy. And I think that that's the perception a lot of people have. And, uh, you know, now they're not going to, obviously. But but I think that's perception a lot of people have. This guy is just not the leader of Ford Motor Company. And quite frankly... Every CEO and every person that's ever led Ford, with the exception of Alan Mulally, who had a lot more leeway than anybody else, Bill Ford runs Ford Motor Company, regardless of who he calls the head of it. And, you know, now there's talks about Ford doing some kind of a merger with BW and everything else. There's a reason for that. Now, I don't think that Ford will do a merger with BW unless they get to maintain control like they have with the B shares of stock through Ford. But what Ford is going to do is follow GM's lead right now. They're going to start shutting plants next year, in my opinion. I think that's a given. And when they do, we're going to suffer. My problem with Ford is, right now, they're lying to us here in Louisville because they employ so many of these TPTs or super TPTs, as Mayo called them, you know, and everything else. Well, these guys are employees of Ford as well. They might be be on a different payroll, but their job every day is to go to Ford Motor Company. And that's what pisses me off because you've got seven to eight hundred employees who are being discounted as, as not being out of work because of yeah. some bullshit paper title. That's what drives me nuts. And that's you know that's the thing. Um, one quick thing too, I know Andrew got to skip before too long, so I'm trying not to go too far into overdrive. I know we're going to end up in overdrive. But yeah. one quick thing too, we, we talk about this the, the Kennedy Bridge and everything else, the 1.3 billion dollar. Um, widening project and all this other stuff. You know, we finally have a, a two-year thing here now where we can track people using it. And quite frankly, uh, the data shows that the I-65 traffic, daily traffic, has decreased by 49%, almost half of what it was prior to the new bridge. Um, you, you know, people just aren't paying the toll. You know, uh, you've got 75% up on the old uh, Clark Memorial Bridge, which is still free, you know, so you've got the Sherman Mint, you've got the Clark Memorial, all these different things. Those things are going through all kinds of surges and, and people going out over the river, but these new bridges have screwed up downtown traffic. They're not getting the tolls they expect it to do. So all this time, when they first started talking about this years ago, Ed, you, me, Tyler Allen, and a whole host of others, we're telling the whole world that this was just ridiculous. It was overpriced. There was no reason for any of this. 
So yeah. we spend this two six billion dollars putting a project together that nobody wanted. We now find out exactly what we told everybody was going to happen. Nobody was going to pay for it. <laughs> and you know, so so I you know I, I think we've been proven right now uh, after all these years. In spades, in spades. I mean, you know, like you say, and, and let's not forget the Drummond art that the state paid a whole bunch of money for. Oh God, Riverfields yeah. crowded it. The damn thing's falling apart, you know. It's like, just, just right. please, just go on, just catch on fire, and let's get it over with. But uh, yeah, it's falling apart already, the, right? The bridge, go ahead. You know, they they cranked up the bridge decks for two hundred. What this was? The bridge was a crutch fuck. That was the rich Democrats in power, the the the, the, the sweet runyons and the, and the Yarmouths of the world running, pushing river fields and all their legal challenges. That was the bridge was a grudge fuck on that. It's like, fine, you're going to put it through our place. It's going to cost you $250 million because we have political pull and legal pull, and we're going to get it. And we're going to drive the cost up. The downtown right. bridge was the same thing. The downtown bridge was a grudge fuck. That's basically saying, you're going to build one in the east end? Well, fine, build one downtown too. Like, no, that, that's all this was. And, of course, I'm sure there's some problems getting greased because there was, you know, two-plus two billion dollars going at it. But uh, – yeah, these these are just these are just grudge fucks. They they should have just done a standard approach, East End Bridge, set back, and done a traffic study for the next two or three years. And, and they should have done this 15 years ago and said, you know what, enough stuff's crossing the East End Bridge, we don't need a downtown bridge. And as I've always said, when the East End people didn't want it, had I been in political power, they said, fine, you don't get it. We're going to stop maintaining the Snatter, which is your glorified driveway. On the east right. side, we'll just build it on the southwest crossing, and they'll be glad to have it, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it, that's all this whole project is. It's just a big old grudge. It's, it's, as they call it, it's a grudge fucking. AJ just really wanted to stick it up our ass because East End Bridge was going through. So if it was going through, those rich bastards out there, those rich, connected, Democrat bastards, were, you know, let's face it. They, they just wanted to drive the cost up. They're going to punish everybody. They weren't the only ones getting the bridge they didn't want. They want to cram one downtown, too. So they did. And that's all there is to it. It's They're up. They're paid for. You know, the Sherman Minton is, is the traffic's up. Now they're saying, oh, there might be problems with it. I look for the Sherman Minton to be weight restricted before too long because the big money in tolls is in the trucks. So I look for it to be weight restricted before too awful long. And, um, you know, try to push more traffic across the bridge. But the fact of the matter is, and I can say this because I have customers we deliver in trucks to across the river. One of the reasons mm-hmm. it's down, and it's a good reason, is because people and businesses that would normally years ago would just say, oh, we got to go to New Albany. And they come back, oh, crap, we got to go to Jeffersonville. You know, not now. Now we're consolidating our trips because it costs whatever. Right. Eight, ten, twelve dollars each way. So. We're consolidating yep. the trips, which, you know, that's a good thing. That's that's being smarter. But, yeah, it's like uh, that's that's what it is, it, it, and that's where it's so aggravating. And the fact is the, de- the, the worst part of it is is these bridges, uh, the bonds are already sold. The contracts are already signed. We're paying for them. <laughs> you know, there's no oh, absolutely. out of it. There's no you're more optimistic than I am. You can't, you can't es- yeah, you can't escape a bond, you know, and. And and I Absolutely. fully look forward to I fully look forward to as soon as whatever warranties come with a bridge I don't know if any really do, 
that they're going to start finding problems with the bridges because they'll be looking for an excuse to keep the tolls on, to raise the tolls. Oh, crap, we have unforeseen maintenance we have to do. I say I look for the Sherman Benton to be weight-restricted to push the stuff across, push heavy traffic across the new bridges because they are they are sucking air. You know, they're running on fumes so bad right now money-wise. So, yeah, yeah, you know, the only thing – we said so. Tyler Allen said so. We had him on the broadcast radio show. We told you. We Absolutely. told you. We told you. And <laughs> now, you know, there's there's a little satisfaction in being able to say that. But now we're well, the other. basically, we're, we're gradually becoming the laughing stock of the country that we built two big-ass fancy-looking bridges and nobody's using them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, you know. And, and I think you're more optimistic than I am. I don't think they're going to weight restrict the Sherman Mitten first. I think they're going to shut it down for a while. I think they're going to shut the Sherman Mitten down, come up with some catastrophic scenario that's going to happen if they don't shut it for maintenance. It'll be down at least a year, and when it reopens, then they will institute the weight restrictions. At least that's what I think. Um, Finally, a couple of national stories. I am very pleased about this one. Jerome Corsi, uh, he's a conservative author a lot of people may know, but Jerome Corsi today filed a criminal and ethics complaint against mm-hmm. Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Um, he finally had enough. He's not he's not Michael Cohen who's going to lie, cheat, and steal to try to get a deal. Jerome Corsi just doesn't stand up to being bullied, and he just did. Jerome Corsi filed a criminal and ethics complaint against Robert Mueller's team, accusing Mueller and his investigators of trying to bully him into giving false testimony against President Trump. Um, and that's the thing. I think that's what they've done quite a bit, including with Paul Manafort and others. Uh, but Jerome Corsi has actually filed a criminal complaint, which means that Robert Mueller is going to have to answer for a whole hell of a lot of things, whether he wants to or not. Uh, and I think this is a good thing, because throughout this entire special investigation, for what it's worth, Robert Mueller, to me, has proven to abuse his power, abuse his authority, and abuse what he was charged to do. After almost, what, two over two years now, two and a half years now, um, they have been investigating this so-called Russian collusion with Trump. They have spent 30 or $40 million and have found zero evidence whatsoever. Robert Mueller and them are trying to make these people say something that didn't exist. And then when it comes time to sentence them and they deny what they said, it's a perjury trap is all it is. And that's how, you know, that's how he keeps nailing people like Michael Cohen. Well, he committed perjury. Michael Cohen's a weak son of a bitch. But I like the fact that Jerome Corsi is doing that. It's going to force this this so-called Russian collusion investigation into the limelight, the methods of Robert Mueller into the limelight, and it's going to force them to finally put up or shut up. I think that's a good deal. What do you yeah. think? Oh, I, I think so. And I, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this Jerome Corsi is like an 80-year-old guy, isn't he? Uh, he's in the 70s, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, he, he, he's an old crusty fart, so, you know, he's probably looking at it like, yeah, what the hell, let's do this. <laughs> so, right, you know, right. As I understand, he's a little bit of a quack, a little bit out there on the conspiracy theory. But you know what? I, right now, hats off to him. You know, you're 70 and change. He <laughs> may be 77 right. or something like that, I think. Right. But you know what? Crusty old fart is going to give them a run for their money. So good for me. I, you know, I, I like a good show. Get me some popcorn. It's uh, so good. good. He's, 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 uh, he's standing up for himself, which, you know, at least Robert, right. these, these Cohen's and 
Manaforts. These are rich, rich middle-aged white guys. They got a ton of stuff. They're scared of losing stuff. Uh, this Corsi guy probably doesn't have a lot of money. Probably doesn't have a lot of time left on the planet, you know, based on just average aging and stuff and life expectancy. He's saying, hey, what the hell? Let's just do this, you know? What have I, what have I got to lose? You're going to put me away for 20 years? Bet you don't. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> well, I think it's so, brilliant. Yeah. I, 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 I don't know what's going to happen, but, but uh, salute to this, to this guy for just stepping back to, no, let's do this. <laughs> right, right. And that's fight. it. Let's fight. Yeah, that's it. And, and finally, the last the last national story, real quick, and then we got to get a closing rant in because you got to go. Um, but the last one is Hillary Clinton and them decided they were going to kick off this. Remember this big old story about this thirteen city tour that her and Bill were going to go on. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to start in Las Vegas last month, and they canceled the Las Vegas show. Now, whether that was because of ticket sales or because Bill had a couple of hookers waiting at a Las Vegas hotel, I don't know, but. They canceled it, so they decided to kick it off up in Canada. They took a, an arena that seated 18,000 people. They blocked off half of that and still couldn't fill half of it up. So they had about three or 4,000 people actually show up. And it was so bad they were selling the tickets before the show for $6.55. And they couldn't get anybody to come. Well, they have canceled, they have canceled the Clinton tour. Uh, there are no more cities listed. They've canceled the entire tour. Gee, I wonder why. But isn't that a sign that even the Democrats are sick of these son of a bitches finally? Well, that's a, what that is is, a, hey, Hillary, you know, just in case you were wondering why you lost, it's, nobody wants to hear you talk. I mean, I, I don't know if she's been a good president or not, but it's just like, no, you're, you're annoying people. Bill has run his course. Uh, the things that everybody gave him a pass on 20-some-odd years ago are not acceptable anymore, and he's still that same guy. So, no, we don't – you know, you, you made your money. You got your money as the Secretary of State and the ex-president. You got your money. Go away. And that's a clear, clear message. And, you know, and I think I would almost go so far as to say that there's probably people – Working under the surface in the Democrat Party to right. tell people no, please, please don't go, please don't support these people. This crazy woman, if she starts selling out crowds, is going to think she can run for president again. So please don't show up, so that she gets the message once and for all and stays the hell out of national politics. So maybe we can find somebody to run against Trump. That I really wouldn't doubt for a second that Democrat leadership is like, please don't support this thing. <laughs> so, so she's getting the Bernie Sanders treatment. Uh, well deserved, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah <laughs> right there, baby. And payback karma's a bitch, huh? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, man. I, I'm going to let you enjoy and do final thoughts because um, I know we got to wrap uh, up. You got to go. So, final thoughts, man. Yeah, you know, you know, final thoughts. It gets back to those bridges and stuff, and it's one of the things that you and I always talk about. Be cynical. Be cynical. I mean, it, we were, good Lord, they were sitting there trying to the sale job, the the blowhard job they did on these bridges, the reasons that they they stalled the East End Bridge. You know, you got to be cynical because learning about it three, five, seven years after the fact when the bonds are getting paid and all the contracts for them for collecting the tolls and stuff, it's too late. 
So I would just say, people, you know, we we have a good time with it. We do. I mean, I told you so's and going all the way back to Tyler Allen and, and you know, I told you so's were rolling back then. You know, that's when he ran for mayor and stuff, the, the problem I see is not enough people were cynical. Too many people were buying in to the, op, the standard operational bullshit that the politicians were putting out there. And you just got to look at – put him, and it's a damn shame, but nowadays you got to look at everything and says, okay – Who's getting taken care of? Who's making money? Whose who's, who's NIMBY stick is bigger than the other guy's NIMBY stick, you know, keeping it out of their backyard? Be, be critical of everything because, you know, like you say, what are, we, what are we into now, 20 years on tolls or something, 15 years, right. whatever it is. It, it, the tolls are never going to end, people, and this is going to be another I told you so. <laughs> tolls are never going to end because once they – once they start to pay for the bridges, then they're going to keep the tolls open because there's going to need, quote-unquote, major repairs or major upgrades, and they're going to have to pay for that. The tolls are never coming down. Right. They're going to get your money. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm one that will sit back and say, hey, a toll? I don't totally oppose tolls. I, it's, it's a user fee. If you want to use the bridge, pay for it. Don't have a, a huge problem with that. That's the amount of money that they're doing it and the deception that goes in on the front end. I wish politicians would just look at us and not give us a reason to be cynical. Look at us and say, hey, we're going to build a bridge, we're going to put tolls on it. So if you use it, you're going to pay for it. So the people who use it are going to pay for it. End of discussion. Don't blow smoke or sunshine, either one, up my ass and tell me tell me that it's going to work out this way and it's all going to be puppy dogs and rainbows. No. Be honest with us. And that's what they were not honest with us on those. They were not honest with us about the need. They were not honest with us about the cost. They Lied through their teeth about the German art and the extra two hundred and fifty million it cost to burrow under it. So, you know what? Message to the government: Just tell us the truth. We can take it. We really can. We're going to build a cool bridge. It's going to take a half an hour off the commute trip. Will, however, cost you two dollars to cross. You know what? I'm good with that. Don't lie to me because you forced me to stay. It forced me and Ed Springston to stay perpetually cynical. And that that's fun sometimes, but it's not fun all the time. Well, I totally agree with you on the bridges thing. I, uh, you know, it's fascinating to me because we could have built two standalone bridges for half the cost. Uh, but they, of course, delayed it for years. Then they lied to us for years. And that's the Democratic Mafia, the Louisville Democratic Mafia here, and the state Democratic Mafia as well. This goes all the way to Bashir and others. You know, the payoffs to Bashir all the way through, you know, everybody here had to be astronomical. You know, I uh, I personally believe uh, it's a $2.3 billion project. It was unnecessary. We could have built two standalone bridges for less than half of that. And out of the $2.3 billion, I swear, I honestly believe seven, eight hundred million of that went through graft, greed, and corruption somewhere along the line. Uh, you know, so it was overinflated for a reason, so everybody got their hand out and got paid. Now, moving forward from that, though, we look at a pattern of history, a pattern of behavior, and a history here in Louisville. The British Project is one part of it. What we're seeing with Tony Lindauer now, Kenny Betts, Brandon Wood, all these other people, this is sexual harassment in the workplace, which is prominent along the Democratic elected leaders here. You know, this Tony Lindauer getting caught is not anything new. Democratic leaders here get caught all the time, but everybody is scared to do anything because their jobs are in jeopardy. What really makes this interesting, um, what really makes this interesting with, with Lindauer is the fact that he admitted to having done it. 
and that's to protect a lot of other people. Lindauer also uh, sent out a, an email to all the people that work for him, firing them all on his last day of office, which normally wouldn't seem like a big deal because every leader, when they get somebody new, they always want to bring in their own people. But usually that's a formality. You don't send an email out on that and begin all this process. The reason that was done is because Colleen Younger uh, was installed, and I do mean installed. I don't believe she won that election as big as she did against John May. There's no way. But Colleen Younger was installed, um, in my opinion, to replace Tony Lindauer to do a cleanup detail. That's exactly what I believe it is. Well, now we've got information about Colleen Younger and the entire Nicholson family and, and, and Colleen Younger's chief of staff, Sharon Hall, that I believe, all right, and I'm working on it, that I believe will prove a coordinated effort um, to at least at the very least unethical dealings with real estate through the PVA and the court system, uh, at best illegal behavior that should be federal charges for recall and racketeering. These are things I'm looking into right now. I'm not willing to say 100% that that's going to happen. I am willing to say that it looks very suspicious, and it is being investigated by myself and a few other people. So we look at all these different things, you know, and, and what I see here is a pattern of behavior. Basically, graft, greed, corruption, and anything goes. You know, we've had sex clubs in Louisville throughout time. Jerry Abramson and all of his buddies used to go to. Then they burned it down downtown, the warehouse downtown that burned a few years ago. That was where they hid at. There's other places around the city that that goes on. These kind of things are just deviant, masochistic behavior. I just can't even begin to comprehend some of the things that come out of there. And it's disgusting, but that's what leadership does. We're talking about Tony Lindauer having this great libido at 70 years old. Well, you know what? I guess if you know, you're with your wife for so many years, every married couple goes through this. It's not a joke. Every married person out there who listens to this program will know it. You're not having sex four or five days a week because the same woman kind of gets old. And she thinks the same about you guys. So don't get all cocky thinking you're God's gift in the bedroom. All right? So, you know, if you're used to going out and doing this anytime you want to with whoever you want to, and you're in a position of power, that power, man, is, is its own aphrodisiac. It really is. And that's what's went on through all this time. Leadership does this. But it's interesting that Tony Lenauer admitted to it. That's what makes this thing so much juicier for me, because you don't admit to typically to something like this unless you're playing ball to try to save some time off of whatever's going on. So we're going to see what happens in the future. But the Bridges Project, the Boondoggle, Yarmuth and all his buddies making money, of course. That's why they did the same thing with the VA hospital they keep fucking around with. The sexual stuff that's going on, that's common. And every Democrat office, I will guarantee you, probably even including Greg Fisher, all right, this is the way it is in Louisville. I have no problem believing women in Louisville who claim sexual harassment against elected leaders. I really, really don't. They're not Christine Blasey Ford. This is known behavior. Or, or All right. not just women, young men, too. <laughs> well, no, well, young, young men especially, but young men don't typically come forward. Yeah. Of course you went there, because it's true. Young men don't typically come forward. But women have a hard time coming forward. Men, it's damn near impossible. You know, and that's the tragedy of all of us. Let these people abuse their power and, and and literally screw, not figuratively, but literally, anybody and everybody to come in contact with because they think they're entitled. And it's that entitlement that has to stop. And that's why you get into the due diligence and everything else that you talk about so eloquently. We've got to stay on guard. We've got to stand up to this kind of stuff, and we've got to hold people accountable. Now, Tony Lindauer, Kenny Betts, probably Brandon Wood as well. They will get their accountability. We've had accountability with the likes of Dan Johnson, Judy Green, and Jim, and Jim King. 
we've had that accountability. Let's take it to the next level. Let's clean all this up. But I tell you what, we'll really clean it all up. And that's if you guys get rid of the Democratic mafia in this state who keeps doing all of this shit and creating all the problems. But hey, that's just one man's opinion, right? But my view matters. MVM. It's not it's not just a slogan, folks. It's a real life situation. That's it for tonight. Mr. Martin, thanks as always. Appreciate hey, it. Have a good one, Mr. Right. Springston. You too. Thank you, sir. Thanks to Mayo and Paul for the calls. Um, folks, that's it for this week. We'll return next Monday at seven o'clock, same time, same channel. Um, you know, barring anything unexpected, I don't expect anything, but you know, last week I didn't expect either, but we should be here on Monday at seven o'clock as usual. In the meantime, have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. God bless. Take care. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see.